Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. My name is Rob, and I'm one of the pastors here at Salem Alliance. I am really glad to be here today. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Bengals fans in the room? Any Bengals fans? A couple of you? Bengals fans that aren't fans just because you like the uniforms? Any of you? No one left. All right. Rams fans? Okay. Wow. Very few for the West Coast. I guess there's that rivalry, but uh, how many of you are only watching for commercials? Okay. You realize how weird it is that many of you, you know you're paying more money to not have ads the rest of the year and all these different services. And then there's this one Sunday a year where you're like, give me ads, give me commercials. I'm so excited. That's strange, but that's our culture. Uh, Also just wanted to remind uh, some of you who are in relationships that tomorrow is also a special day. It's Valentine's Day. And if you haven't prepared for that yet, I would just maybe prepare for it. Uh, I need to prepare for it. I've been married for 22 years to Jess. And so we'll figure something out. Uh, and I have loved being married to Jess. She has taught me so much in life. See, one thing you got to know about me is I, I've had to learn to enjoy being surprised. I, I love change as long as I'm initiating the change and in charge of the change and have expectations of what the change will look like. Uh, but being married to Jess, there's just a lot of change that happens, whether it be like hair change happening all the time, or quite often I'll walk into our house and probably every eight or nine weeks I'll walk in and the living room is totally rearranged. Like, just uh, like, oh, cool. And so I've just had to get really used to like a life of change and it's been really good for me. It's been good for me. And some of you, you understand that as well. We we have expectations, and when those expectations are changed and the surprise kind of shows itself, we, we have to step back a little bit. The parable that we're going to actually look at today is Jesus kind of trying to do that for the listeners because they have these expectations about what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And Jesus is attempting to awaken them and say, it's, it's not going to look like that. It's going to look different. And so be surprised, be open to that surprise. We're in our series, Kingdom Come, and we've been just defining the kingdom of God as the society in which God's will is done. It's his rule and reign here on earth. And we've been looking at allegiance and how we put our allegiance in King Jesus, as we've heard stories of this morning, how we integrate that into our lives so that we can be on mission. And we've been looking at these different kingdom parables found in the book of Matthew, We're going to look at one more today, but I love parables because they engage our imaginations and they invite us, they invite us into the mystery, to the discovery of who God really is and how his kingdom manifests itself, what it looks like. Today's parable is no different. In many ways, today's parable is a prophetic parable that's there to counter the misguided expectations of the first century listener. Let me share a little bit about what the expectations of a first century Palestinian Jew might be. You see, they're under Roman occupation. So when they hear Jesus say the kingdom of God is near, what that generally means to them is good. A kingly leader is about to 
be just come up and end this Roman occupation. That's what's happening in their minds. And so Jesus is coming into the scene and he's saying, um, that's not exactly what it's going to look like. It's not all about just kicking out this, this occupation. And the context here is important. Not only the Jewish listeners, but even Jesus' own disciples are expecting the Messiah to be a revolutionary, liberator, a person that will gather a militia and overthrow Rome. They are waiting for someone to bring freedom and peace and prosperity and restore their land. They had this conception because of the many influences that surrounded them, their culture, their family and traditions, what their parents had had taught them to expect, politics of the day. Here are some of the descriptors that they might have used to describe the kingdom that they were anticipating. We'll throw it out. The expectation was that the coming kingdom would be forceful. It would be coercive. It would come forward. That it would be structured. It would be planned. It would be like a well-thought-out military strategy. That it would be exclusive to this pocket of the world, to the Jewish people there in Palestine, and that it would be earthly. This is what they were expecting. And that context is important because Jesus is there, and he's releasing a bit of a sense of... Um, Everyone, you've got some false expectations here. You're going to be surprised at what the kingdom is really like. And so he invites the listeners to a posture of discovery with this parable of contrast. The parable is found in Matthew 13. It's only two verses. I'm going to put them on the screen for us. Matthew 13. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. This is the word of the Lord. And so the discovery for the Palestinian Jew of the first century, the breaking of the misconceptions, it begins, this humble Mustard seed. See how small it is? Just kidding. I don't, I'm not holding anything. The, it's so tiny. This humble mustard seed becomes a large tree, providing shelter and peace for many. Church, many of us, like the first century Palestinian Jew, also have created some expectations of what the kingdom of God will look like in our lives in our family, in our church, in our city. And we've created expectations because of what surrounds us, our culture, our politics, our family, the traditions that we have been raised in have kind of defined what we think the kingdom of God might look like. It's in this posture that we need to pause and consider what we think. And there's two statements that I just I want to put on the screen for us to just consider as we begin today. The first is this. How we see Jesus shapes what we expect his kingdom to be like. How we picture Jesus, who he is, the characteristics that define him shape what we think his kingdom mission in advance will look like. And you can also flip it because how we, how we imagine the kingdom of God shapes what we expect Jesus to be like. And some of us have these ideas of like, this is what the kingdom will look like. And it's actually from that 
that we start to define what Jesus looks like. And we need to be careful of these because we need to make sure that we're in alignment. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to paint four contrasts that I see in this parable, four contrasts of how the original hearer looked at the expectation of what Jesus would be and the correction that Jesus brings to those. I believe this parable is prophetic. I believe it still carries importance and relevance for us today in our culture. So let's look at these four contrasts. Here's the first one. The kingdom grows with compassion, not coercion. The listeners of the parable, they expected it to come with force, but it came with self-sacrifice as Jesus died on the cross. They expected conquest, but it was actually an invitation. They expected coercion, but it was actually compassion. There would not be a forceful Takeover. There was no huge fund to hire the fighting mercenaries. It wasn't going to be a forceful revolution that freed the people of Israel. That's just not what it was going to be. That's not who Jesus was. You see, he didn't ride into Jerusalem on a kingly war horse. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey. When they're in the garden and the Romans come to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls his sword and hits the, the Roman officer's ear, Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. That is not my kingdom. And with compassion, he heals the ear. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, we know that he can call legions of angels to come and rescue him and give those that are crucifying him what they deserve. And yet, he does not. He lays down his life to inaugurate a new kingdom. It's not who he is. But church, who the king is matters. It matters for us as followers of Christ. As Jennifer explained last week, our king is kind and patient. And oh yes, a day is coming when we will see his just nature as well. When the wheat will be separated from the weeds. But church, understand that he rules not with coercive fear, but with a gentle pursuit and invitation. Because he is compassionate. Getting an opportunity to live in an actual kingdom for 12 years, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, really helped me understand theology of the kingdom of God. It's really interesting just, just how that worked. And during my time living in the Middle East, we, we saw different leaders throughout the Middle East, and they had different ways that they led their people, that they led their nation or their kingdom. One of the leaders that I got to live under, his name is King Abdullah. He continues to be the the king of Jordan. Here's a picture of King Abdullah. This is King Abdullah, and he looks intense here, and he's wearing his military fatigues, but honestly, most people put up pictures of him and his family. He's a king of the people. He is kind and compassionate. He gathers together tribal leaders to hear what they need and listen and figure out what he can do to help them have better lives. He is respected. He is trusted. He is known as a compassionate king. People long to meet him, to shake his hand and to thank him. I did. In fact, there was this this one event that we were pulling off and we had launched this big poverty alleviation thing. It was called Souk by the Sea, this massive street market that would bless the local population. And so we had 50 tents downtown in the middle of the city that our local artisans, they would each have a tent. We had live music. We had all these things. It was this big deal. And on opening night, the lights were good. The media was there. The cameras were there. And I'm just walking different government officials through this project when one of them says, hey, 
I told King Abdullah about this yesterday. I think he's coming tonight to meet you and get a tour. Oh, I was so excited. I waited. Every time a black SUV would pull up, is that the king? I can't wait. He didn't show up. So disappointed. The queen did that to me once too. Just, I was still wounded. But the joy of just the anticipation of meeting a compassionate leader. To the north of Jordan is the country of Syria. Prior to the Civil War, I had the opportunity to travel through Syria to spend time in Damascus and some other cities in Syria. And Syria is led by President Bashar Assad. He leads differently. He instills fear. He instills just this, this oppression over his people. He holds on to power by force and by threat. In fact, when I got there, my host said, make sure you don't say his name in public. People are listening. Parents wouldn't tell their kids the Arabic word for lion because it sounds so much like his last name. Do you see the difference? A kind and compassionate ruler versus one who leads with fear and intimidation. Church, who the king is matters. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what role does fear and coercion play in our following of Jesus and our personal faith? I'm not talking about the overwhelming grandness, the healthy fear of God. I'm saying, when you pause to listen to his voice, what are you expecting to hear? Is it disappointment? Anger? Frustration with you? Condemnation? Friends, if the voice isn't kind, you need to pay attention to it because it's probably not the voice of Father God. It's important for us to recognize the king we behold. He isn't angry. He isn't full of rage. He is a kind pursuer, pursuing his creation with compassion. He is not a God who forces our allegiance. His kingdom is not coercive. It's one of compassion. The second contrast we see here is that the kingdom grows wild and organic. The kingdom grows wild and organic. It is very Oregonian. We, just, we should celebrate that. <laughs> the start of this movement would be unexpected. It wasn't stru structured takeover. It wasn't a revolt that would inaugurate this kingdom. Jesus wasn't leading a well-funded startup. He had a group of 12. It was a grassroots movement, 12 seemingly insignificant disciples and some incredible women that were alongside them, fishermen, a zealot, a tax collector, insignificant in the eyes of the world. God builds his kingdom this way to glorify him, not a charismatic leader or military strategist. It points to something transcendent, a supernatural orchestrator. The concept of a mustard tree is one that I want to just spend a couple of minutes on. See, living in the Middle East, there are fields of, of farming with incredible technology where you see the beautiful rows of, of bushes and trees and plants, much like you do when you travel out to Silverton and you see all the hazelnut, I mean filibert, rows of trees. And you see it. And, but honestly, most of the gardening, most of what happens in the Middle East is a lot more wild than that. I'm, I'm, I think back to the hikes I would go on with my children in Wadi Dana, and we would just walk through this ancient land, and when we would get tired, we'd always just come around a corner, and there is a fig tree. We would sit in its, tree, in its shade and eat those fresh figs and be refreshed, and you wonder, how did this ever get here? 
Or when we would hike in, in Wadi Rum in the desert where there's no green vegetation anywhere, but all of a sudden there would just be this one random tree. How did it get here? How is it sustained? I don't care right now because I'm so hot. I'm just going to enjoy its shade. But so much of it just happens wild. Like here, here's a picture of a, a mustard tree in the Middle East. It's more like a bush. But, but notice, like, notice all the greenery around it. Oh, whoa, there's not any. It just grows. I love uh, when I finished college, I actually taught science for two years in an inner city school. I was like, should I do business and work at Morgan State? No, I'll teach science at a little, little school in Boston. The unit on seeds was one of my favorite because the way seeds spread, it's just so diverse and beautiful. If you think about it, those little ones that are like the helicopters that you try to catch when you're a kid and the wind blows them and they go far away and that's where they, they, they take root. Or, or the seeds that grab onto your clothing when you hike or, or, or stick to the fur of an animal that then get transported somewhere else and then take root. Or, or the fact that many birds and animals eat the seeds and then they poop them out wherever they want and boom, there we go. There's a new plant. It is just random. It's not controllable. It's wild in church. That's how the kingdom of God goes forth. Pliny the Elder, who I believe was uh, in Egypt in the first or second century, this is how he describes mustard seeds. And pay attention to the details in this because there's so much that, that just describe the kingdom of God. Mustard grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it. Amen. As the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. It would, be inexorably, it would inexorably grow into something large and firmly rooted. I love this. Which some would find shelter in and others would find obnoxious and try to root out. There's a reason why Jesus uses the mustard tree. It grows wild and it's organic. Its potential is unknown. I was hanging with Brian Candelo earlier this week, and he was asking me what I was going to preach on. I began to just share some of the points, and I don't know if you know this about Brian. He is an encyclopedia of quotes. It's like you have Google or you have Candelo. I choose Candelo. It's like unreal. And he goes, oh, it reminds me of this quote. Listen to this. A fool can count the seeds in one apple, but only God can count the apples in one seed. Only God can count the apples in one seed. This is also a parable of potential, the beauty of seeds. There's a, a woman that used to come to our center in the Middle East, and I remember the first time I met her, she came to study French, and she hit it off with my wife, Jess, and the two of them would begin to walk together. And over time, Jess was able to share her faith. She was very interested in it, and she got scripture, and she began to study scripture, and she became a daughter of the king. She became a follower of Jesus. She was about, I think she was 53 when she, when she found Jesus, a single woman in the Middle East, a seed that took root. This is the kingdom. She planted orchards all over the Middle East. In her boldness, she led people to faith in Saudi Arabia, family. She led people to faith through work connections in Turkey. She was in Iran. She led so many people to faith. Every time I saw her, I need a Bible in this language. Can you get me one? The potential, the unseen potential, this seemingly insignificant movement maker, this woman, it's the beauty of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 reminds us, Paul writes, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. 
but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. This is the kingdom. It's a lot less controllable than we might like to admit. And in the context that Jesus is speaking, it is a reminder of the hope and the power and the potential of what God can do in our lives, our seemingly insignificant lives, individually and collectively. A few years before I arrived at Salem Alliance Church, Salem Alliance had this this goal. They wanted to extend their influence to bring peace to our city. It was an incredible idea. They were talking about how they want to multiply. And what was on the table, they had researched the idea of becoming a multi-site church, which means this would be the main site, but they would have other places that they would rent where they would have live worship, and they would just live stream in the preaching. It was a great idea. It was researched out. And so they brought the leaders of the church together, the elders, the governing board, some of the staff, and they got together and they prayed and they prayed and they said, God, is this what you're calling us to do? And the story goes that he said, no. No. Great story. I love the fact that we're a church of cloud followers that can receive a no. And and the, the line that is always quoted when people reminisce about this meeting is he said, Multiplication will look different than you expect, but it will happen. In church, it has happened. And it has looked different than we expected. And the way church has been planted and our partnership has started with Toulouse International Church. And we have an international prayer gathering happening this afternoon across the street. And Livestream was launched. And S3 became Deaf Ecclesia. And our Deaf community have a church that has been birthed. Multiplication happened. And it looked different than we expected because it was organic. And it was beautiful. For me, a a visionary that wants to make things happen with some controlling tendencies, this message is a bit piercing and freeing all at the same time. As the kingdom moves in your family and the lives around you, understand you don't need to force it. You don't need to control it with structures. You get to embrace it. You get to be yourself. You get to embrace its wildness, its organic nature, and you get to allow yourself to be surprised. The third contrast that I see here is that the kingdom is a refuge for all nations. The kingdom is a refuge for all nations. The Palestinian Jew in the first century there thought that the kingdom was exclusively about them for their sliver of time in this time of the world. The contrast is that it was much bigger than that. The kingdom that Jesus inaugurated grafted in the Gentile. It fulfilled the promise in Genesis 12 that Abram would be a father of many nations. Even the Roman oppressors, just think about this, the oppressors that they so badly just wanted out, even the Romans would find shade in this tree, making nests in its branches. Not long after Christ's ascension, we see that the gospel even goes to Rome. Paul, writing his letter to the church in Rome, writes this. Notice the forcefulness and coercion in his words. Just kidding. There is none. You, Romans, are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
He's writing to the oppressors not that long after. What Jesus was announcing was a global movement that extended through all of time, freeing any that choose from the bondage of the enemy. Many artists have attempted to just capture the beauty of this parable. Here is one of my favorite pieces of art. I love the diversity of the birds finding shade in a way almost glorifying the king of kings in this picture. And friends, this is what we invite people into, to find refuge from the storms of the world. All people, no matter where they find themselves, this is why we partner in fulfilling the Great Commission, sending people to those who don't have the opportunities that we do here in the U.S. to hear the message of Jesus. This kingdom is a refuge for all nations. The final contrast that we see here is that the kingdom unites heaven and earth. The first century Palestinian Jew thought that it was an earthly kingdom, but it's not. It is heaven coming to earth. You see, there's three passages in the Old Testament, two in Ezekiel and one in Daniel 4, that kind of use very similar tree language of this great tree that represents an empire where people find safety and security. And Jesus is taking that imagery to awaken the listener in the first century. The Daniel 4 passage says, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. In this context, in Daniel 4, it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar and his tyrannical rule in the empire of Babylon. But God is helping the, the listener think back to that. He's using empire language. The mustard seed will become a great empire, but it will look so different than the Assyrian, than the Babylonian, than the Egyptian empires. It will look so different. It's a contrast, again, the similar language. And if I can take the liberty, in this case, Babylon, Babylon, that nation that built a tower to try to touch heaven, and the contrast of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. This kingdom unites heaven and earth. It is not an earthly kingdom. It comes with transcendent power to make things as they were intended to be. This prophetic parable was fulfilled, and it continues to be fulfilled with us. A first century group of mostly working class disciples started a global movement that we call Christianity. And we continue it on, church. There's two things that I'd encourage you to do as you just continue to wrestle with this parable in the coming week. The first is this. Ask yourself this question. Where have I been surprised at how God has worked in my spheres of influence? Where have you been surprised at how he has used you to further his kingdom? How he has used others to reach you to further his kingdom? Where have you been surprised? Every now and then, I'll, I'll watch a season of Survivor with my family. And my favorite, my favorite episode every time is the reunion. The reunion show. After all is said and done, they bring all the participants back together, and they just debrief. And they talk about the backstabbing, and they talk about this and that. And you see the depravity of humanity is beautiful. 
I always have wondered, what would it be like to have a reunion show with the disciples like five years after Christ's ascent? What would it be like? I mean, many of the disciples had, will have already laid down their lives, so it, it wouldn't have been possible. But what would it have been like? When did they get it? When did the surprise finally come and they realized this is so different than what I expected, anticipated? I'd love to be privy to those conversations. But church, we need to acknowledge these times that we've been surprised by the way the kingdom goes forth through us, around us, and be prepared to be surprised again, open to where God is moving. We need to listen well. We need to not make assumptions. We don't need to structure it and try to control it because his kingdom is wild and his kingdom is organic. The second thing I'd invite you to do is to ask God to reveal the significance of where he has placed you right now. Where he has placed you right now is significant. Church family, there's great potential in a mustard seed, and there's great potential in you and in me as people on mission. We have heavenly significance. Let me declare that over you again. You have heavenly significance. May we not forget that just as the mustard seed reminds us that it's in our seemingly insignificant places that the kingdom grows, through people like us, the ministers of the gospel. The great Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary to the Amazon jungles, I love how he described himself and the team that he served with. He said, we are just very human folks just doing what we've been asked to do by God. Simply a, a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt someone. That's the kingdom mindset. And that kingdom mindset declares that where you've been placed is strategic. Our spheres of influence, our family, our friends, our neighborhoods are significant to God. And therefore, in our insignificance, he partners with us to extend his organic kingdom. And it's why we pray his kingdom come. His will be done. Would you stand for the reading of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.